Greetings, everyone. Grace and peace to you. This is Pastor Bobby, and obviously this is not our teaching from our normal Sunday gathering. We canceled our gathering yesterday morning uh, due to the big storm that came through on um, Friday night, and then what we expected to be uh, crazy weather again on Saturday night. But as it happens, and as it has happened in the past, and I'm sure if we meet outside again in the future, it will continue to happen. The weather did not materialize like we thought it was going to. And so we woke up yesterday morning to beautiful weather, sun outside, dry sidewalks and and grass. And uh, yeah, so, you know, you win some and you lose some. Uh, I do want to say I hope uh, all of our dads had a, a good day yesterday. Uh, I know I did. was able to get outside and enjoy the weather for most of the day, uh, eat some good food, go to the pool with my family, um, enjoy uh, my kids. So uh, I'm glad that we were able to do that tomorrow or do that yesterday. Um, even though uh, our our gathering plans didn't turn out as we had hoped. But um, I did want to dive in a little bit to our teaching for this week in our series in 1 John. Uh, this is our new teaching series that we are going to be in together for the next uh Month and a half, two months, First um, John, and we've entitled this series, A Life of Light and Love, A Life of Light and Love. And those are two of the major themes of this letter written by the Apostle John. And, and what we see throughout this letter is that um, John is not a linear writer. He is very different from the Apostle Paul in uh, that Paul makes arguments on a verse by verse, one verse building into the next verse. Uh, that's Paul's style. That's the way Paul thinks. John is very different. And um, so even in our passage today that we're going to look at, um, it's not a, a linear teaching or a logical teaching as much as it is John hitting on some major themes. And some of those themes that we're going to look at together, uh, walking in the light, acknowledging the truth, confessing our sin, receiving forgiveness. So let's dive in here. First uh, John chapter one, I'm going to begin reading in verse five, and I'm going to read through uh, verse two of chapter two. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This passage is built around the message of verse 5. John is proclaiming a very fundamental truth, that God is light, 
and there's no darkness in him. And when John connects light to who God is, that light is in reference to God's life, God's presence, God's character, God's will. You remember in John chapter 8, the gospel of John, Jesus proclaims that he is the light of the world. What Jesus was saying is that he is the personification of God's life and presence in this world. Meaning in Jesus, we see and hear who God is and what his will is for this world. Darkness, as you know from very early on in our science education, is the absence of light. So when John talks about darkness, not walking in darkness, no darkness in God. Darkness is a metaphor for whatever is disconnected with God's presence, with God's will. If you remember from last week that John's aim in this letter is that his readers would share in fellowship with God, meaning that they would share, they would participate in God's life in real and tangible ways. Fellowship, John says here, comes by walking in the light. So if you desire fellowship, God God wants fellowship with you. John wanted fellowship with them. If they wanted fellowship with God, then don't walk in darkness. I think you know this, but walk is another word for the orientation of our life what we are living according to. Every human being is making a choice. Where is their life oriented? By what are they living according to? And for John, there are two choices. You can live according to the light, or you can live according to the darkness. Now, what does this mean? in real terms? What does this mean in, in, in practical terms for our lives? You've heard me talk about the different aspects of a human life, the, the, the things that are true of every human being. And this isn't original with me. I learned this from Dallas Willard. He talks about it, writes about it in his book, um, The Renovation of the Heart. The different aspects of a human life are as follows. Thought, our ideas, our beliefs, and our judgments. Feeling, our emotions. Choice, our desires, our decisions. Body, our actions, and our interaction with the world around us. And our social context, our relationships with other people. When we think about walking in the light, We can know that God's will for us is that every aspect of our life, those ones that I just mentioned, thought, feeling, choice, body, relationship, all of those things that make us us are brought under his rule and reign. That our whole person walks in the light. Now, this is not less than 
righteous living, but it's more than righteous living in in the terms of do's and don'ts. I don't want to characterize the do's and don'ts in a negative way. I think we're we're prone to do that right now because, frankly, many of us have um, been taught that you boil the Christian life down to do's and don'ts. Do's and don'ts are necessary. They, they, and in this letter, John is going to be very clear about there are some things that we should all be doing in order to experience fellowship with God, and there are some things that we should not do because they will lead us away from God. But God's will for us is that we live righteous lives and that every aspect of our lives is brought into the light. Or another way to say that is that it's aligned with what we know to be true about God, what he has revealed about himself and how to experience life with him. That fellowship That fellowship is sharing in God's life in all of these different aspects of our life. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a second. John exposes a lie here. And the lie is this. I can share in God's life while also living my life on my terms. That's simply not true. Acknowledging the truth is so much more than simply adhering to a set of facts. It's embracing what is real, reality. And the reality that John is presenting here is that if we refuse to be honest with ourselves and with God, we cannot have fellowship with him. We cannot share in God's life if we aren't willing to bring all of our life into his light. Now, let me pause here for a second and address something that I think is really important. There are some followers of Jesus who choose to not bring part of themselves into the light. They choose on a daily basis to keep part of themselves for themselves. If I'm completely honest, there have been seasons of my relationship with God where that has been true of me. But there are also people who are genuinely trying to walk with God who can't bring all of themselves into the light because they don't know how. You hear us a lot talk about those of us living in bondage those of us living in bondage. And much of that bondage is connected by lies that we have internalized and pain that we have experienced. Those lies and that pain produce shame. Where we look at ourselves and we say there's something fundamentally wrong about me. And that increasingly puts up a barrier between us and God, a barrier to walking in the light and stepping out into the light. Because we believe that something is fundamentally wrong about ourselves, because we cannot accept the truth about who we are, 
Obviously, we don't believe God will accept that either. Some of us have internalized lies. Lies that have been told to us. Things that we have come to believe about God and about ourselves, about the way that this world works. And because of that, we live in denial. There are parts of our lives that are not in the light. There is sin happening in our lives that we cannot see because we have been deceived, because we are in denial about what is really true. And those things, this bondage to lies and to pain, fuel our actions, drive us further away from God. We find that this bondage to be at the root of our sinful actions, our addictive habits, our broken relationships. Left undealt with, we find ourselves drifting further and further away from God. Though we want to move towards God, there is something preventing us from doing that. Sin always creates distance. It always disrupts fellowship. Some of us know what that sin is. And it's our responsibility to bring that forward. Others of us are living in that, but do not know how to get out of it. And this is why we are, are so adamant that we do this together, that we invite other people into our lives. Because honesty, this sounds counterintuitive, because the darkness breeds hiding. It promotes concealing who we really are from other people because of fear of judgment, fear that we will be, that we will be shamed and that we will be shunned. But actually stepping into the light with other people allows us to begin the process of healing and of transformation. And so I want to ask you this afternoon or whenever you're listening to this, is this true of you? Do you have one foot in and one foot out? Are you holding back parts of yourself? Are you refusing to bring part of yourself into the light? Are you trying to convince yourself that you're someone that you're not? Are you trying to convince others that you're someone that you're not? Are there parts of your life that you know you're holding, are holding you back? Parts of your life that are keeping you in darkness, but you don't know how to come into the light? This is an encouragement from John to live a righteous life, to walk in the light, to pursue fellowship with God. Don't wait. Step out, ask for help, come before God. With the psalmist, pray with humility and sincerity. Search me and know me and see Is there any way in me 
any part of my life that is not being transformed by you. The reality check here that we see is that even for those of us who are pursuing God, who are walking in the light, we will fail. And that is why walking in the light begins with confession. Confessing to God, maybe as I just mentioned, that you're walking in darkness but also confessing to God the frequent failures that come while we're walking in the light. That word confession is a compound word. Two words put together. The first word is the word say. The second word is the word for like or similar. And you kind of see where I'm going here. Confession is to say the same thing. And so when it's used in the context of confessing sin, it means to say the same thing about that sin that God says about it. And that's another lie that John exposes here. To claim that sin isn't really sin. In verse 10, John attaches some strong language to this. That if we claim that sin isn't really sin, what we are doing is calling God a liar. Because God says it is. Now, sometimes this is a direct refusal. Sometimes this is because people have become so deceived into thinking that wrong is right and right is wrong that they refuse, refuse to acknowledge that what they have done is wrong. I've seen that. I've experienced that. And I know some of you have experienced that too. But often, this looks more like sugarcoating. Trying to say, well, this looks really bad, but it's it's not that bad. It's not as bad as it seems. Half-truthing. Saying, I will, I will admit to this part, but I'm not going to admit to this other part. Or just generalizing, saying just enough to make people think that we are sincere, make God think that we are sincere, convince ourselves that we are sincere, but not really being specific. And that's the key here to what John is talking about. Because when you look in the original language in the Greek, in verse 9, our English translation reads, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. But in the Greek, that word our is not really there. It's actually the. So it should read, if we confess the sin, he is faithful and just to forgive the sin. Specific sins. Calling it what it is. Saying what God says. Now, this may be a little confusing because how has God cleansed us from all unrighteousness? And then we have to go back and confess it again. Didn't all of my sins, weren't all my sins forgiven when I believed in Jesus? Well, hold that thought 
We're going to get back to that. The encouragement here and the, and the promise here is that when we confess our sins, we will receive forgiveness. Who God is and what God has done. That is the basis for this forgiveness. John makes it clear. We will be forgiven because of who God is. He is faithful to his promise and he is just in his decisions. And we will receive forgiveness because of what God has done. The shed blood of Jesus. Christ's death on the cross is the basis for our salvation, for our justification, for the guilt of our sin being removed and us being brought into relationship with God himself. But Christ's death on the cross is also the basis of our fellowship forgiveness. The daily confession of sin and receiving forgiveness for those sins is based in Christ's death on the cross. And this is where I want to get to. What does this mean? What does this daily forgiveness actually mean? There's a beautiful illustration of this that John records in his gospel. A situation that he experienced with Jesus and the other disciples just before Jesus' arrest and trial and crucifixion and death. It's a passage of scripture I'm sure you're familiar with in John chapter 13. Listen to it. Then Jesus poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered to him, answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. Jesus stoops down to wash Peter's feet, and Peter says to him, Hold up. You're not washing my feet. I've called you Lord and Master. I believe that you are the Messiah. You are not washing my dirty feet. And Jesus' response to him must have shocked him. If I don't wash your feet, you don't have a share with me. If I don't wash your feet, Peter, you can't really experience or know me. You can't know and experience the life that I have for you. You don't understand now, Jesus says. This washing was symbolic of what was to come. Anticipated what Jesus knew was in store for him. That his death and resurrection would wash Peter. Would cleanse Peter from his sins. Without it, Peter wouldn't be clean. Peter wouldn't be able to know Jesus' love or experience new life. And as you might imagine, Peter doesn't understand this. So he hears this from Jesus and he says, well, if that's the case, then give me a whole bath. Like, watch my whole body. But again, Jesus' response 
is clear, you don't need, or I should say, it was probably unclear to Peter at the time, you don't need a complete bath. Just let me wash your feet. Just like some, someone coming in off the dusty road in that day and age wouldn't expect his host to shove him in the shower. Instead, he would expect his feet to be washed off because they were dirty from traveling. Jesus is explaining that his act of washing his disciples' feet is rooted in his love for them. They were his. They believed that he was who he claimed to be. They had committed their lives to him. What he was telling Peter here is that I've already made you clean. My impending death has made you clean, but your feet will still get dirty. Their daily sins, their subsequent time of unbelief, the selfishness, the stubbornness, all of these things, they could know that these daily sins, their dirty feet, will continue to be cleansed only because they had experienced that fundamental cleansing already. So when we come to 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What John's not talking about here is topping off our relationship with God, making sure that we're still good with God. What John is talking about here is that fellowship, that sharing, that participating in the life of God that we were meant to share in. Sin, those daily sins, unbelief, selfishness, stubbornness, just go down the list. Those daily sins create distance between us and God. Those daily sins, if not dealt with, push us further and further away from knowing who God is and being known by God. What Jesus was telling his disciples here in John 13 was because I love you, I have made you completely clean. And because I love you, I will forgive your sins every time you confess them. When we confess our sins, God forgives them. And that fellowship with him is restored. And it also enables us to have fellowship with each other. When we are walking in the light together, we are confessing our sins to one another. We are confessing how we've hurt each other. We are confessing how we have uh, uh, mistreated each other. We are confessing how we have taken advantage of each other. We are forgiving each other. You see, this is where that fellowship becomes real in our daily life, is that we can begin to experience God's mercy and his forgiveness through each other. God's life, we experience that through each other. When we are 
at odds with God. When we are distant from God, when we refuse to bring our full self into the light so that we can have fellowship with God, it stands to reason that we aren't fully going to be able to connect with each other, to share in this life with one another, to experience the transforming power of Jesus Christ in and through each other. Again, this is John's aim. He wants us to know God in real and tangible ways in our lives. And the first step is by walking in the light. So be honest with God. We all have this, we all have these times We all have these seasons where we hide, we pretend, we try to convince ourselves something is true that it really isn't. Let's be honest with God about where we are, about what we need. Let's confess our sins. Be quick about it. Don't put it off. Don't shrug it off. Don't try to convince yourself it's not a big deal and it's not worth bringing up. Confess your sin. This takes courage. It takes courage not to live in fear that bringing out who we really are or what we've done, that we will be shamed, that we will be shunned, that we will be cut off, that we will be condemned by God. That's not true. John says it's not true. If we confess our sin, we will receive forgiveness. And we can experience healing and transformation. Let's be courageous in doing that. And lastly, let's receive that forgiveness. Let's know that God does not keep a record of wrongs. That we will not stand before God to hear him read off a list of sins that we have knowingly and unknowingly committed. Know that when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. We can receive that forgiveness. We can give up that guilt. We can live in the love of God. We're going to get into this more into the book, but this is also not just about us and God. This has direct application with each other, as I mentioned earlier. If there's somebody that you know you have wronged, somebody that you have um, used your words to hurt, somebody that you have um, sinned against, somebody that you have taken advantage of, go and make that right. Go and confess that and ask for forgiveness. And if you are the one that has been for, if you are the one that has been sinned against, one of the ways that we walk in fellowship with God is by extending forgiveness to those who have hurt us, as God has forgiven us. Let's be continue to be a community that is honest with God, confesses our sins to one another and graciously extends forgiveness and receives forgiveness. Even though we're not taking communion together this week, 
This is what communion represents. Being honest with God about our need for a Savior. Receiving the forgiveness and the life that is ours through the body of Christ broken for us and the blood of Christ shared for, uh, shed for us. And then walking forward in that reality, continuing to live in the light and sharing in the life. I hope you have a great week this week. Be blessed and know that God loves you. Peace be with you. Thank you.